This is Unstoppable with Zen Honeycut, Episode 53 The Pros and Cons of Protesting. Good day, everyone. I'm so glad that you're spending some time with me. I'm seeing, as you are, the images on the media of some beautiful and amazing protests in peace and also some devastatingly disturbing protests that are ending up in violence. And the issue, Moms Across America, does not particularly cover this particular issue of social injustice. Our mission is to educate and empower mothers and others with actions and solutions to create healthy communities. And we have traditionally focused on food and toxins in our environment. However, what we're seeing right now across America is not healthy communities. So in some ways, I feel we, we must address this. I personally, just this is my personal podcast, must address what's going on. And I'm going to just do so from a personal standpoint of what I've personally experienced in protesting. And I just ask you to consider what might be most effective in going forward as a nation and what you personally can do about it. I'm going to share a story about the largest protest I was ever a part of, and then I'm going to share some pros and cons of protesting. It was November, about three years ago, when Standing Rock began to make the media, began to see about it on uh, Facebook, on videos, people going to Standing Rock in, I believe it was North Dakota, could have been South Dakota. I believe South Dakota, actually. Yeah. And, And we began to have supporters from Moms Across America say that they wanted to go, that we should go, that they wanted to donate money so that we could go and bring them supplies and support this effort to prevent a pipeline from going through Native American grounds and inevitable, inevitably polluting a water supply, which had 18 million people below it, depending on that water supply, which was the Mississippi River. And the injustice of the pipeline going through this Native American um, burial grounds, you know, sacred grounds, it had, you know, skirted the the uh, white communities, of course, and it was originally planned for the white communities, and then it was rerouted through the Native American communities, was uh, an injustice that many of us could relate to, a racial injustice. And um, there was also environmental injustice, right? There hadn't been the proper environmental studies done. And people from all across the nation began to show up there. So by November of 2017, there were 10,000 people that had gathered at the Standing Rock Reservation. And that area had become the seventh largest city in South Dakota. 
it was enormous. There were people from actually all over the world that were going there. And for the week of Thanksgiving, my husband and I decided to take our kids. And we also asked a Moms Across America supporter and her son to come with us. I, I thought she would be very helpful. You know, she'd been my assistant for a long time um, in any matters that came up and it might be good for her son and for my sons. And so we all crammed in together into one RV. And when I say crammed in, I mean it like sardines. <laughs> and my husband drove like a bat out of hell. And also um, our the supporter, Lisa, drove as well. And she was also, um, her husband's a mechanic and she knew how to fix things. So she was very good with the RV, which I was not. So she and my husband drove, took turns, drove through the night and got to South Dakota in, I believe it was two days, something like that was, you know, not, not very long, maybe even less than two days. And it was cold. It was cold and it was snowy almost snowy, not actually not snowy when we arrived there. Um, but we were so excited because Moms Across America supporters had donated a couple thousand dollars. I think at that point it might have been about $3,000. So we were bringing $1,000 worth of supplies. We had cash to donate to them directly from our supporters. And uh, we had enough money from our supporters for the gas to get there. So we were, you know, ready and loaded and drove there all night and got there and it was very cold. And the, as we rounded the corner of the river and crossed over a little river and saw the encampment, which was along uh, the edge of a river on a flat area. And there was a little bit of a hill that you went up in order to get into the camp. And then you descended down into the camp. The road that was welcoming everybody was lined with flags. And it was so exhilarating to see 300 tribes had put their flags on that road. So there was an incredible sense of unity and of something being historic, something that had never happened before. And we were a part of that. And we were greeted by a Native American man who asked us questions about why we were there and and at the end of the greeting, he said, welcome home. And they greeted everyone. When you walked around the encampment, the Native Americans particularly greeted everyone with, with uh, you know, welcome auntie, welcome uncle, you know, welcome relative. You felt at home. And the meetings were incredible. There were community meetings and every meeting you would gather in a circle facing each other with a fire in the middle with some sage burning and somebody would start with a with a chant or with a song or with a few words they would sage everybody so the sage was meant to bring you back to remind you of who you were so you would have a moment of clarity and peace it was it was prayerful the whole week was prayerful filled with prayer with connecting with Mother Earth, with connecting with our relatives, with connecting with peace, connecting with the purpose that we were there for. And I felt an incredible sense of aliveness and connection 
and of going back to some roots that I didn't even know were there. This prayerful, peaceful way of being. It was intentional. It had an intentional that along with the rest of the community felt as if we were pulling forth humanity to be better than it had been, to be more connected and compassionate and protective of the earth and the water and life on the planet than we ever had been before. It felt like we were birthing something new. And in every community meeting, we would go around in a circle after the the elder or the leader, some, most of the times it was a woman who would sing a beautiful song. I didn't, I don't know what she would say, but it was in her native, you know, native tongue in Lakota. And uh, then say something about the day's events and what was happening that day, whether it was a protest out in the city or, you know, locally, you know, woman's, you know, sort of sit down, sit in, or a general, you know, all people gathering. Um, or if some teepees needed to be built, or if people needed to move their garbage, or, you know, just different community matters. And then we would be able to go around in a circle, and each one of us would be able to say something to air a grievance, or to, you know, say that we had a yurt that needed to be built, or, a you know, a opportunity. Like, I got to ask, you know, where would some funds best be spent? You know, we had a donation to give. And things like that. So, and everybody would be able to, you'd, they would go around in a circle. And once they came once around the circle, they would then say, we're going to go around again. And they would go around the circle again. And if anybody else needed to say something, they could say it. And once they got back around the circle, they would go around again if there was anybody that had to say anything. So he would he would point his hand around the direction in the circle and if he passed by, if, you know, you allowed him to pass by you, that meant you were complete. You were, you had said everything there needed to be said and you were ready to get on with the day. So sometimes it would take three times to go around in the circle. Sometimes it would, you know, just be once. Um, and then if there was somebody who had more than one thing to say, he would ask them to be mindful, right? To say everything that you needed to have said in the first time. And uh, it was a very intentional conversation. Now, I want to point out that this was before any protesting. We gathered as a community, we connected, we said what needed to be said, and we were very intentional about what we wanted to get done that day, and we organized. So then during the day, we did our activities of whatever it was. We helped prepare for a protest or, you know, put signs, you know, made signs. We put art, this beautiful art that they had silk screened onto um, a cloth and we pinned it onto the backs of jackets or, you know, just put the pins on and then so people could grab them and put them on their own jackets, whatever it was, um, or painted art or helped do dishes, scrub pots and pans for people that were eating at the camp or, you know, helped out with trash or whatever it was. So we we were busy all day doing things. And then sometimes, you know, at, at four o'clock in the afternoon or one o'clock or whatever, there'd be a particular time for a sit-in. And the first one that we were a part of was a woman's sit-in where the white women went in the front of the, of the group and then the native American women behind them. And then the, um, children 
and then the men. And the, there were only a very few men and they were in the back. And it was, I believe it might've been on a Friday. I believe we may have gotten there on a Tuesday or something like that. And uh, the first protest I think was the next day or something, you know, close to then. And it was the women's one. And so we, we, we gathered, somebody said, you know, a prayer and, and, a, and a sort of a chant and we saged and we got very mindful and they declared that it was a silent protest. So everybody was silent and we walked probably for about five minutes or maybe 10 minutes to the location, which was on the bridge as a group. And everybody had, um, there were many signs that people were holding up on posts, you, you know, talking about, you know, protecting the water and water is life. And then when we went up to the bridge, there was at one point, a point where you, they informed you, there was one gentleman who would hold his hands out and pause you for a second and say, when you pass this point, do you, do you acknowledge that you may be arrested? So that was the, that was the point in which the uh, policeman had declared you couldn't go on that bridge. It was for some reason you were banned and the whole bridge was blocked off. By the way, there was a barricade and there was a road to the place where they were installing the pipeline, which they had completely barred off from the public. It was a public road too, and they had barred it off. So you had to agree to cross that line to put yourself, you know, at risk of being arrested and you had to agree to that. So that was the only time anybody spoke and you had to, you know, say yes, and then you would proceed. So I had one of my children with me because he was he was young enough that I could carry him and he wanted to be carried. And frankly, I didn't want to be separated with him. But the other two were older and were further back with my husband. And um, I could see them, though. I kept looking back and I could see them. And they were with a whole another group of kids. I look Native American, so I wasn't in the front row. I, I'm half Chinese and half French American, um, and I, I've passed as Native American before, so I wasn't in the front row. There were redheads and blondes, you know, in the in the front row, women, and so we went and sat there, and it was a very peaceful protest. We just meditated for probably 30, 40 minutes, and the policemen were there, and they were, you know, saying things to us like, "You have to leave. You have to get up and leave," and there, there was one of our leaders that got up and, you know, sort of made a deal with the policeman, like, look, we're going to sit here. And they left us alone and we meditated. And many of us had tears streaming down our faces about halfway through our time there because we were meditating in unison for peace. We had a, a particular, there was either a chant or a message that we were all focused on. And it was so moving and so inspiring to be together with all of these strong women from all across the country and with Native American women by my side and with my children. I'll never forget it. I will never forget it. That was a peaceful protest. And then about two days later, we started hearing some, just some, some explosions and some screaming and some yelling and people running towards the bridge again. And it was dark. It was probably, I don't know, maybe eight or nine o'clock at night. Maybe, I don't know, maybe six, seven, eight, nine o'clock. It was dark already. And um, my assistant Lisa had said, Zen, we got to go. They're on the bridge. There's a you know protest on the bridge. And 
I looked at my husband and he said, well, you know, only if you, you know, stay with Lisa and, you know, be careful. And I said, I will be careful. And, you know, I should go. And I had grabbed, I grabbed my camera. I really felt a responsibility to document this for the people who had supported us to go there. And so I went and my husband stayed with the boys. We agreed that bringing the boys to the protest would possibly be dangerous. And I didn't want them to be a part of, you know, seeing any type of violence like that. So I went to the bridge and there was a huge crowd. I would say, I don't, I don't, I don't even know, several hundred people, at least several hundred people on the bridge. And there was smoke. I could tell that there was tear gas that was exploding. There were shots being fired. There were rubber bullets being fired. There were like um, smoke grenades that sparked and flamed and caused fires being thrown by the policemen. So there were fires being started on the embankments that the Native American, you know, water protectors would have to run to and put out. That so the policemen were actually starting fires, and uh, the the Native American water, pro, you know, protectors, and there were some white people as well and other races would have to run there and take off their coat and stomp, you know, throw it down or stomp on it and put these fires out. So it was mayhem. It was just, it was, it was a, it was a like really a, like a, a war battle, a war zone. And there was, there was one group that had started a fire on the embankment by the river and it was to keep warm. There was, they had giant logs and they had started a fire and it's, you know, for Native Americans, starting a fire is like brushing their teeth. They, you know, it's just part of their life, you know, smoke and fire and it's sacred and it's no big deal to them. It's not like they're trying to start a fire to burn down a house or something. So they had started a fire in the middle of the street to keep warm and down on the embankment. And this was because the people in the front lines, as they called it, um, some people called it they were being sprayed with water. They had water cannons on top of a tank and they were dousing the people on the front lines with water. And it was probably 20 something degrees out. It was below freezing at some point, you know, in the, the middle of the night. And so there, were, I saw an elder, this woman, she must've been 78 years old, standing in prayer, just rocking back and forth, chanting for peace, being sprayed with water, dousing her with water in freezing cold weather. And my heart broke. My heart broke that the policemen would do that. And then I saw young people in their 20s that were very, you know, they were amped up, I'd have to say. They were shouting some things at the policemen. Some of them were saying, you know, shoot at me, not at them. Or, you know, I'm here for peace. You know, how can you do this? This is, don't you have children at home? Don't you want to have clean water? So they were, and some of them were speaking to the policemen and were in a way taunting them, but they were angry. They were seeing their brothers and sisters being shot at. So they had something to say. And I saw these policemen shoot at them, some of them behind the knees when they turned around and they would fall to the ground and their brothers and sisters would have to come and pick them up 
and carry them away because they couldn't walk. They had bullet rubber bullets, you know, shot into the backs of, of their legs. And they would bring the people over that had been doused with water to the fire and they would hold up a giant uh, tarp and they would make a wall with that tarp behind them and stand there and they would be blasted with the water cannon, you know, shooting at their backs. And eventually when they shot at the backs of their knees, it would make them fall to the ground. The, the pressure of the water cannon was so heavy. So the barrier for to prevent the water from blasting and hitting the, the fire by the embankment would uh, be half the size, and but they kept that fire burning all through maybe till maybe till four or five o'clock in the morning. I I don't remember. I I think I left before it it was over. But while I was there, I felt drawn to get closer and closer to the front lines. But I also was very afraid. I had a responsibility. I felt to my family to not, not get shot in the eye with a rubber bullet, to not get shot in the arm. Like I saw one woman before me, she almost lost her arm. She was bleeding and it had, they had blasted her in her arm. She was probably 23 years old, young blonde woman. And um, she was just screaming. I mean, there's so many times people were just bleeding. And when they when I got closer at one point, because the, so many people had gotten injured and they left, we were, we were meant to fill in, you know, to move forward. As I was moving forward, there were water protectors that were gathering up the people that were injured and moving them away. They were, they were taking off their coats and bringing new coats. So many people had donated coats that they were bringing them new warm coats. They were warming them up by the fire. They were making soup for them. There was such an incredible amount of unity and connection and service and support. Everybody felt connected in what they were doing. And it really, the mission was just to kind of hold the front line, to have people there in protest of uh, this blockade that was stopping them from walking down a public road, you know, towards where the pipelines were being built. And, but, you know, somehow it turned, had turned violent. So it was sort of a matter of integrity and, and, and personal values for people to say, I'm here in peace and I'm going to stand my ground. So there was an incredible amount of unity. But as we were doing that, the tear gas, you know, bombs, I guess you call them, did go off again right in front of me. And when that happened, it felt as if the devil himself had taken hold of my throat. My nose, my eyes, my throat were in such severe pain and in it's such an intense feeling that i felt like vomiting and my head exploding at the same time it was it was horrible and um i did i tried to vomit i don't think i did but you know i tried to spit up and somebody came over and poured milk of magnesia on my face and um and i i wiped it off and then i was suddenly in a complete daze i was so i was dazed i didn't know what was going on. And a young Native American man looked at me and said, are you okay, auntie? And I just said, no, no, I'm not your auntie. And he said, it's all right. It's all right. You'll be okay. And I was so confused. I was like, I'm not your auntie. I was kind of like, I was almost angry. It was weird. I was, I was suddenly confused and angry. And I stayed, I don't know how much longer I stayed and, and, and I had lost Lisa. I didn't know where she went. And I think she went up on the hill with her son. 
So I felt alone and dazed and angry. And at some point it was, I knew that my husband, you know, he couldn't reach me on my phone and he would be concerned. So it might've been, I don't know, midnight or two in the morning. I don't remember what time, but eventually I left. The, the crowds had dwindled down, but there were still some people staying. And eventually I left. And about two or three days later, it was, so that was Sunday. On Wednesday, I started getting very disturbed and irritated and distraught. And I didn't have all that much reason to because that night on on Sunday, we the cause got a lot of media attention. And on Monday, I did a, a Facebook Live about it. I was able to get a few minutes of signal up on the hill. They had the, the hill they called Media Hill. And even though the call kept dropping because they had drones and they were you know, interrupting the signal, I was able to, to speak to our supporters. And I, I got a Facebook Live out for a few minutes. And during that Facebook Live, raised another, I think, $7,000. I mean, people donated a whole bunch of money towards the cause. And so I felt very connected with people. I met people who, one guy gave me a sticker that said, I don't know you, but I love you from a website called madmadlove.com or something like that. I mean, I was just connecting with the Native American people and the local water protectors in such a way that it was amazing, really amazing experience. But about three days afterwards, I felt so angry and irritable. I began screaming at my family and at Lisa, at her son, at my sons, my husband. And on Thanksgiving day, I was a horrible human being. I was so angry. And at one point, one of them, I think it was Lisa asked me, Zen, what's wrong? And I said, I don't know. I'm so angry. And I was just screaming at the top of my head. And I will, um, I'll always regret that. I feel like I ruined Thanksgiving in a really historic moment, we all had Thanksgiving together in our RV. We wanted to go to the the Standing Rock event that or, uh, Organic Consumers Association donated to in a big hall. There was a Thanksgiving dinner, but we knew it wouldn't be organic food. And our kids had already reacted to some of the food that we shared with some of the people. They had a, a, a venison stew one night. And I think one of my kids had some of the bread or something. And they broke out in rash. So we had our own organic food in our RV, but as we sat there, I was so angry. And I feel like I ruined Thanksgiving. And when I I remembered them talking about people being violent and angry and domestic abuse that was happening in the camp. And what I want to share with you is that that might be happening right now. That that tear gas that is being shot at these peaceful protests, and in some cases not peaceful protests, it's a poison. It's a chemical that alters your brain. And it has you say things and do things that you wouldn't normally do. I can't I can't describe to you how angry and rageful and violent I felt. And I'm I'm a mom, my mom, I'm a you know, a woman. And so I fear for the communities right now that it's been about three days in, in some cases since the tear gas was shot at crowds 
in 145 cities across the country in, in some cases. And what's happening in these households right now could be abject rage. And your loved ones could be experiencing that if it's you. And if you're a loved one of somebody who's been protesting and they're acting rageful now, I ask for you to have compassion for them. I ask for you to forgive them and to give them space and to let them know it's going to be okay because in a few days it will pass. Help them, have them eat organic food, help them to detox, have them do Epsom salt baths, have them take, you know, charcoal, which helps detox. Just be compassionate for them. Be the one to be a space to let them know that it'll be okay. But please encourage them not to go out again while they're that rageful because lives could be lost. Their life could be lost if they react in a rageful way. So I just ask you to consider that. Consider the impact of the toxic chemicals, which are a poison and which do alter your brain and which can have you uh, behave in a rageful way. And I'm not the only one. There were many, many people in the camp. There were many people that also got sick. They got sore throats. Our kids got sore throats. They were apparently spraying chemicals as well over the camp. And so it's it's a, a side effect of protesting that I, I ask everybody to consider. There are many things happening in the world right now that could and are increasing a growing amount of collective rage. And I understand that to my core. And we have an opportunity to be a part of creating collective compassion. To see a situation where it could grow into rage, but to instead insert compassion. For instance, the police officers that showed up and the chief that said, I'm going to put down my helmet I'm going to put down by my, my baton and my intention is for this not to be a protest, but a parade. And we want to join in with you. And they did. And the police officers in another town that, that went and kneeled down in front of them, they took a knee for the lives of those African-Americans that have been lost needlessly. And the protesters went up to them and hugged them. So will you be a part of compassion? collective compassion, or will you be a part of collective rage? We need you to consider compassion right now. So now I'm going to talk about the pros and cons of protesting and sort of break down what I just shared with you. First of all, the pros, it can be very, very exciting for any of you who have protested. You know, I didn't go to the Women's March, but I know many did. It's very exciting and you feel a sense of connection and unity that is really unavailable in any other way, unless maybe you go to a political rally. But when you're protesting, there's a sense that you're going up against something and you're standing up and speaking up and you're being courageous. You're risking your life. So the adrenaline in your body spikes in such a way that it, it really is, it's indescribable. You feel completely alive. And that's what you know, drama or excitement can do. It can have you feel completely alive and you can feel connected with other people instantly, just looking at them and saying, you know, it, with your eyes, I'm here, you're here, 
you're awesome. We're awesome together. We're going to make a difference. We're going to do something about this. We matter. And that's why the Black Lives Matter message is so strong. Because when you protest, you're just saying, look, we matter. Our lives matter. And you're, you're wanting to make a difference in that area. So a protest for Black Lives Matter or for, you know, to protect water, the intention is one of compassion. The intention is one for people to be compassionate to each other, to be kind, to, to exercise, you know, justice, to be of good faith, right? You're standing for good in the world. And that's very exciting and it makes a difference. And it is something that you'll never forget. You also have a voice when you protest. You're speaking up and you're holding the messages that you want to have in the world, either a demand or a, um, you know, exposing the truth about something or, you know, a message that's in unity with what's going on. And the benefit of that, the pro about that is that those issues get attention. And so the media will come if the protest is big enough. And unfortunately, if there's violence, but I'll get into that, the issues will get attention. The media will cover what it is that your protest wants. And you will get airtime. You may get interviewed. The, you know, a reporter may come up to you and ask you to say a few words. And so you may have the ability to say one sentence. I mean, you may say several sentences, but they may only show, you know, one sentence of what you have to say. So you will have a voice if your protest gets media attention. And we all know that public opinion is shaped by media. So getting media attention can be more important than even having a senator or representative speak out about something on the, you know, the Senate floor. Getting media attention is important for a cause. It's for some like the primary goal because they see that as the only way to make a difference in their cause. So you will have a voice and your issues, the particular demands that you have will get attention. And you could alter history. For instance, with Standing Rock, three years later, the the call f- that we had at Standing Rock was for an environmental study to be done on whether or not that pipeline would impact the environment on the Native American sacred grounds. And we won. It was the the courts found that uh, the the installing of the pipeline was in violation of you know the laws that they had not done that environmental study. And so they had to stop it or whichever, I don't know, turn it off. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but they had to do that environmental study. And that just came out a couple of weeks ago. It took three years though. You know, as Martin Luther King says, the arc of justice is long, Um, but eventually it does go in that direction. Now the cons, the cons are that when you're excited and your adrenaline is going, you may say and do things that you normally would not do. And you may get over, sort of like overwhelmed with excitement and go go closer to 
uh, a dangerous situation than you normally would. You may be part of a dangerous situation. You may incite a dangerous situation. And so it's important to check that adrenaline and to have an agreement with somebody. Like I, I promised my husband that I would be safe and I knew that it mattered that I be safe and I didn't want to violate my, you know, my word to him. So I didn't get, I didn't go to the very front lines. I stayed back probably, I don't know, it might've been 50 feet or hundred feet or something like that. I, I wasn't right at the front lines. And, um, so be aware that having it be exciting can also mean that it's dangerous for you. And the tear gas that can come with the excitement now, because if, if your group is excited and chanting and screaming, or somebody starts throwing things, then the other side, the opposition, they're going to, their adrenaline's going to get up and they're going to get into the fight or flight syndrome, which is for police officers. It's never flight. It's always fight. And so they will start throwing tear gas or shooting rubber bullets or, you know, advancing on you with shields and armor. And it will, it will heighten the situation and the result will be violence, which is not necessarily the outcome that you wanted when you were there for the protest in the first place. And for instance, the protests right now are for justice and for humane treatment of African-Americans. So inciting violence is not the outcome which most of the protesters are calling for. They want to be treated respectfully. They want justice. They want fairness. They want equality. They want civil rights. They want the the perpetrators to be held accountable for their actions. That does not mean more people dying. That's not what George Floyd would have wanted, nor anyone else that has died at the hands of police. They wouldn't want. They wouldn't have wanted more people to die. So be aware that being excited can equal more violence, aggression, higher emotions, and and harm to yourself you know, damage from tear gas or bullets or physical harm and arrests. And arrests can mean, you know, many couple of days in jails. It can mean strip searches, um, you know, sleeping, you know, in the cold without a blanket, without food, you know, you know, mistreatment basically in, in a, a state prison or, you know, town, local prison. And it can mean in the Standing Rock uh, case of having to go back six months or a year later for a, uh, a trial in court or, you know, a hearing in court, and it could mean thousands of dollars in fines. And it could mean having to hire a lawyer and, you know, all of that. I'm not saying this to deter you. I'm just saying this is the reality of what's so. If you get arrested, be prepared and find out what you're going to face. Um, and, and be aware that that's, that is a fact of the matter. There could be, you know, some hefty fines. Some of the Standing Rock protesters are still in prison now. They were arrested wrongfully and are still in prison years later. Now, keep in mind that there also could be infiltrators. One of the cons is that, um, I mean, I saw young white men that were there all in black, you know, much like I see now in some of the protests with masks on, even though back then they didn't have to have masks on. And um, with wire cutters cutting like the, the, the fences so that people could bust through and throwing rocks and screaming, you know, F you and all of that. And that's not what the Native American elders had promoted. They did they did not promote 
going to the front lines and screaming F you and throwing rocks. That was not sanctioned by the Lakota community. That was an infiltrator who went there to incite violence. And we don't know why they're doing that. Maybe they're mentally ill. Maybe it's an organized by some type of group. We don't know why. Maybe it's the opposition pretending to be, you know, one of us type of thing and, you know, trying to get the group into trouble. But all we know is that that was not behavior that was what we discussed before we did these, you know, protests or not, not even not protests. We call them demonstrations, peaceful demonstrations. So be aware that there will likely be infiltrators and that infiltrator could be right next to you and they could be throwing a rock. And when the policemen respond with shooting rubber bullets, you could be hit, you know, right in the eye, right in the arm, right in the face. So you just don't know if somebody next to you is going to be an infiltrator or not until they start throwing a rock or a brick. Also, the con is, is that oftentimes these violent protests don't work. They don't have the outcome that the people want to have. And so it becomes very discouraging. There could, there's likely going to be not only an impact from the chemicals after these protests, but deep despair and depression because it, it will likely not have the outcome that they want to have happen. Now, these one police officer has been arrested, but the other three have not. And, um, you know, it's going to take time for this police officer to be sentenced and to either go to prison or whatever will have fined or whatever is going to happen to him. Um, but many things may likely not change and especially not everywhere. It may happen in one state or one area, you know, in one instance, but the overarching systematic, you know, changes that they want to have happen will probably not happen that day. So when people go home, they think, what the hell? You know, I just spent all day and I risked my life and, you know, hours of this or that or the other thing and and nothing happened. Nothing changed. So it c- can be very discouraging after a protest that you've devoted a lot of time and energy into to see that nothing has changed. So be aware, be prepared for some depression after this. Because, you know, we're a community, I mean, we're a society of instant results, right? You order something on Amazon and it happens within a day or two. Well, that's not going to happen with these protests. And uh, be aware that there could be anger about that. Next is one of the cons is that most of these um, protests, and I'm not just talking about this one, but many of them don't have a unified message. They don't have a, a one particular ask that they're asking for. You know, for instance, I mean, God bless the people who organized the Women's March because of their commitment to empowering women and women's issues. I think every, any woman, no matter what political side you're on, can can c- connect with that commitment that women are treated fairly, right? No matter what our political party. I don't agree with some of the things that were were presented in the Women's March, so I, you know, was not a part of it. Um, but my main complaint was is, is that they didn't have a particular ask. If those millions of women had all marched for at least equal pay, I would have been on board. If there was a an, an ask which would have produced a result, 
right? We're here. We want equal pay and we want it by, you know, January 2020, whatever it is. Give it to us now. And all across the country, we had organized not just in protests, but in speaking to our senators and our representatives and getting in front of city councils or governors or mayors or what, like whatever it was. If there was a particular ask, like equal pay for equal work, um, I would have been on board. And and I think that the, some of the people who you know did not go to the march, that was the they had some of the same reasons that they didn't know what the exact ask was, what the exact message was and how that would be what the result of that protest, what their ask was and what the outcome would be in the world, like what would actually change in the world. So you want to make sure that you have a unified message and that you're clear about what the result would be if your voice was heard, your message was heard, you know, and your ask was fulfilled upon what, what result would be in the world. And if you don't have a unified message, then these the protests can actually hurt your cause. They can actually occur to the media and to the powers that be or any type of opposition as another reason to make you wrong and another reason to resist you and another reason to continue doing the things that the way they, that they're doing them. So the people who were opposed to the women's march, they just dug their heels in further, you know, on certain issues and made the women wrong. And then the women made them wrong. You know, the, the women that were in a part of the march made them wrong back. And in many cases, it just increased the aggression and the resistance and it didn't connect people. It didn't have people say, okay, let's sit down and talk about this and come together. So you really want to think about how you want, you know, like what you want to have show up in the world as a result of your protest, whatever protest it is, you want to have a clear message and not just a message of like, of you, here's the injustice, but a message of here's what we want. We want this to happen by this day. And for instance, the, you know, people in Hong Kong had that they had particular list of asks. And you want to make sure that some of them for sure are doable, that they can do them. But be aware that they're, even though the benefit of violence is that you will get media attention. And unfortunately, you know, we didn't get media attention for that women's prayerful protest that day. When we sat there in peace with prayer, there was no media. There's a, there were a few reporters like, you know, journalists, you know, covering Standing Rock because of their interest, but there was no, you know, CNN and, you know, all of that. CNN only, only came when there was violence. So I understand people's inclination for violence, but keep in mind that if you have violence and you have the media's attention, please have a clear message, have an ask that the world can fulfill upon, that our policymakers can fulfill upon. And make that time that you're protesting make a difference. And make sure that if you're willing to subject yourself to those chemicals, that you're clear with your family members, that you are likely going to be very, very angry and full of rage a few days later. And do whatever you can, please, to take care of yourself and protect yourself from that. I, I really would urge you to wear a mask if you're going to be in a protest. Breathing in that 
evil, evil tear gas is, um, I, there's two names for it too. There's, there's another, there's two different kinds of gas, but they're, they're horrible. So, okay. I I think this podcast has been long enough, but I, I really wanted to share that story with you and to share the pros and cons of protesting so that not to say to do it one way or another, but just so that you choose clearly you're informed. You're now an informed person from my perspective anyway. There, I'm sure there's many other points about protesting that are pros and cons that other people can think of. But from my perspective, um, you know, it's it's best that people are informed and make a choice before going into a situation. And oh, keep in mind that um, looting and protesting are very, very different. Those are not the same thing. So please um, be be aware and be careful and be mindful and be safe and um, and take care of yourself. And this is Zen Honeycut reminding you to be unstoppable.